Stephen is with us today, and we're going to talk about exchange-traded funds with Peter Harper from Beta Shares and uh, find out just what they're all about. We're also going to take our in-depth look at the market, our market update with Henry Jennings and currencies and commodities. Just see how we're travelling and have been in the last week or so. Your station to NURFM, time to take a look at finance Thursday. Finance and Stephen Pritchard. Well, we hear we're in a recession this week. Should we be, well, A, surprised and B, concerned? Well, we're supposedly in a recession, but the equity market went up when it came out yesterday. So so uh, that means uh, everybody's quite happy. Well, it mightn't have been <laughs> as bad as everyone thinks, but there, there, there seems to be this disconnect between the equity market and what's happening in the real world at the moment. So. And that's not only in Australia? That's not only in Australia. Um, the US is even worse. Okay. Um, so it's getting to record highs and, and yeah, I don't know. It's mm. so a little okay. bit of a mystery to me. So maybe we're going to have to rework these connections and just um, yeah. think of some other ways of doing that. Um, yeah, so a lot of the fund managers are increasing their holdings of cash. A lot of the professional investors are increasing their holdings of cash. So I think it's not everyone believes the equity market um, okay. prices are sustainable. And, and there's warnings, continual warnings coming out from the Australian Securities Commission about first-time investors opening broking accounts at record numbers. And, mm. and and thinking they're going to make all this money. But anyhow, mm. okay. time will tell. Exactly, time um, will tell. Yeah, so the gold price was up $17.25 an ounce. So that's, 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 that's all right. That's quite a bit, it's isn't it? That's quite a bit, yeah, yeah. Uh, almost 1%, yeah. um, three quarters of a percent. And the crude oil price was down $2.43, $2.43 a barrel, back down to $60.52. So, okay, so it got seems gold, to be up and down. Yeah, you got gold, you're wealthier, and you got all your poorer. Um, and the currencies, um, the Australian dollar, the Australian dollar continues its upward surge. It's back up to uh, seventy three point three four uh, US dollars. US cents to the Australian dollar. So that's that's the highest it's been for a long time. Um, and against the Great British Pound, we're down to 54.93 cents, which is pretty much where we were last week. And the New Zealand dollar, we're $1.08, which is similar. And the euro, we're 61.89, uh, which is up. We're up about um, 1% against that. So really, it's uh, the, the Australian dollar is really strengthening against the, the US dollar at the moment. So uh, it really... It really, it, it it only affects you if you're importing stuff or you're going on a holiday to the US, but you can't go anymore. So, um, so uh, yeah, we won't this, worry about that. It's be more academic than anything I imagine. Um, uh, the All Ordinaries Index was, was um, well, apart from yesterday, was down 58.8 on the week to 6,251, which is still still near record highs. Uh, the S&P 500 was up 96.3, um, which was to 3,580, and the UK market was down 59 to 5,940. Uh, a, a, bit, a bit of red ink in um, locals' portfolios here. Um, BHP was up uh, six cents to $38.50, but uh, CBA was down at $1.46 to $67.61. It's up a bit this morning now. Uh, NIB was down 11 cents to $4.54, and uh, Telstra continues its drift south 
uh, oh. five cents to two dollars ninety. I mean, oh, if, it's below three dollars. Yeah, yeah. Well, if anyone's oh. rung Telstra lately, you can understand why they're losing customers. Mm. Uh, if anyone answers the phone, that is. Um, and Newcastle uh, fuel price is a dollar ten point three, which is down a cent. And Sydney is a dollar thirty point three, which is which which is up twenty cents. Uh, it's a big difference there. Um, mm. I don't know. Mm. Um, yes. And the diesel, $1.21 in Newcastle and $1.18 in Sydney. Thursday, finance and Stephen Pritchard. It is about time we found out what's going on in the market, taking a look at companies and things. And to help us understand that, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today joins us. Uh, Hello to you, Henry. Hi, Henry. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Jane. How are we all? I'm good. Very good. Top of the world. Top of the world. Um, the world, like that. Yes, the the big news for the week, of course, is the GDP's down seven percent. Um, household consumption falls. Household income goes rises. up. Rises, rises. Uh, so savings must be going up. That's the only savings other place. Are going up. up. Incomes going up. And the equity market went up. And the equity market went up. I've got to say, these numbers were pretty much um, a waste of time. To be honest, it makes great headlines for the newspaper. But um, these numbers relate to April, May and June. So mm-hmm. it's pretty much height of the pandemic lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we don't care about Victoria and Melbourne, uh, being in New South Wales, the Mexicans. Um, so we, uh, that's very much rear view mirror kind of looking stuff. I guess there were some people that were going for minus 10% mm-hmm. in GDP. We came in at minus 7 which if you look across the world... I think the UK was down about 20%. Yeah, a lot of Europe was down 20 Yeah, a lot of Europe was absolutely stuffed. So we have done massively better than most, and that is backward-looking, and since then the world has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I know it's the recession we didn't really want to have, um, and it's been a weird recession in some respects because there's been this bifurcation of the economy and a bifurcation of um, winners and losers. Uh, and there's been an awful lot of retailers that are seeing an awful lot of money flowing into their coffers through online and other sorts of mm-hmm. sales events. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we've also seen a, a generation of youngsters that in some cases have had massive pay rises and have all moved home with their, to their parents. Yes. So they're saving <laughs> lots of money. <laughs> saving lots of money. I'm speaking from some experience here. Yes, um, yes And, yes. you know... When we've and we've seen rents rising in the in the suburbs and the outer suburbs, and rents collapse in the inner city, mm. uh, where once people wanted to live, now they don't want to live there because they don't need to work there. Yeah, yeah I, I, still deserted. It was interesting because I heard that in, about that in Sydney, and then there was an article in today's one of today's papers that says people are fleeing New York uh, City to the suburbs over there as mm. well. Yes. And the interesting thing up here is, which I can't understand, the rental vacancies is down to half a percent, the lowest it's been for a, for a long time. So, yeah. So. Well, as, as someone that has a daughter that moved home and is moving back out again, back into the inner city, um, you know, that there, there's nothing around our area to rent. It's yep. very hard to find anywhere on the northern beaches. Yes. Um, whereas the inner city, where she is looking and has um, rented a place, is absolutely rock bottom. Some of the places I, I looked at when she was looking, you know, they were absolute glamours. Yes. For, uh, you know, a thousand bucks a week gets you an absolute glamour. And when you've got four of you sharing 
um, you know, that that for Sydney is is pretty good. Pretty cheap, yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. I mean that, that's and, and these are I mean, these are not um, these are not little pokey houses. No. These are these are stunning with gardens and car spots and all sorts of attractions in in the inner city, close to where the action is for the young kids. Um, and um, yeah, it's it's a very strange new world that we live mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Very well, you, you take what you can get, don't you, if you've yes. got cheap rates you do, in you, you do, you what do. we always thought. I, I think this could be the midget sub-moment. Yes. So yes. I, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with it, but back in the, the Second World War, the midget submarines came into Sydney Harbour mm-hmm. and, and fired off torpedoes with some tragic consequences. Um, but it did spook all those um, harbourside mansion-owning people for a brief period of time where they thought this was going to become a nightly weekly, monthly occurrence of being attacked on the foreshore. And as a result, uh, property prices around the foreshore collapsed. And a lot of shrewd people saw through this and uh, bought up mm-hmm. property in that collapse. So this could be our midget sub-moment. Uh, the same thing happened in Newcastle East. Yes, they... Oh, after the earthquake? Or no, no, no. Second after the sub. The sub actually shelled Newcastle. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Newcastle East, well, There yes. you go. I've got a history lesson for there me. There you go. Yeah. Then, <laughs> and then... <laughs> well, moving on to moving uh, on more to modern times. Moving on to more modern times at AMP. Um, yeah. So we're going to appoint consultants to review the business, which may lead to the company being broken up and sold. Mm. I mean, isn't this a cough out by the board? I mean, shouldn't they have been there fixing the thing? That's what they're paid for, not to sell the thing. Well, I, I, I guess they basically chopped the CEO's legs away from under him. Mm-hmm. Um, it hasn't been a particularly good period of time for poor old Francesco to Ferrari. Um, and with uh, a couple of uh, high-profile issues, uh, one had to resign and one had to be moved asunder, and then the chairman moved out. Um, so, yes, I mean, it's basically saying, hey, you know what, guys, come and pick off the good bits. Yep. Come and get it. We're open. We're open for, for offers. Pick off the nice stuff that you want. So, obviously, AMP Capital and stuff like that will be high on the agenda there for a number of players because that is kind of a part of a jewel in the crown. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you'll end up, that's the problem, is that when you start picking away at a, at a carcass or some roadkill, you'll, you'll, the best bits will go, and you'll just end up with a, um, a steaming pile of roadkill. Yes. Um, and uh, that, that, I guess, is the danger. I don't think anyone will take the whole thing holus bolus. You'd, you'd be a brave man to do that, yes. although... It could be done. Private equity could take the whole thing and then carve it up themselves yes. um, and try and make more out of the, uh, the magic pudding than, uh, than AMP could. But uh, it does chop away the CEO's grand restructure plan. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, it makes it very hard for him now, I guess. Thursday finance and we've just been getting summer in fact and talking about summer in the city on Thursday finance and uh, well there's more of that coming along I'm sure. So we have with us Henry Jennings from Marcus today and of course we have Stephen Pritchard. So IWF is going to acquire MLC which is uh, I find quite amazing. Uh, yeah, a marriage made in heaven. <laughs> well, yeah. Or hell. I mean, if you go back a couple of decades, MLC was the third largest life company, probably. Yeah. And IWF was a little friendly society in Melbourne. The Independent Order of Oddfellows. Yes. And yeah. now they're acquiring MLC. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, this is, uh, this is the final nail and the end of the era where banks wanted to be all things to all men and wanted to have big wealth management businesses. That they could uh, 
justify with synergies from their other retail businesses. So, an interesting move. It's not. Um, I, I love it when um, companies announce these and they they call them transformational. Mm-hmm. Transformational is not always good. Like Borough. Like I'm thinking, well, there's many companies that have embarked on a transformational acquisition. This is one and a half billion dollars worth of transformation. Um, they're raising over just over a bill from uh, from mums and dads and institutional investors to to pay for their transformational um, thing. Uh, I guess MLC and IWF are the natural partners. That they they recently bought um, a business off ANZ, which they're mm-hmm. still trying to get permission to do so. Um, it's um, yeah, that they're now going to be the biggest gorilla in the mist. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. I'm sure that in five years' time, there'll be calls from shareholders to demerge the MLC business from IWF and list it separately because that would be the trend at the time. But at the moment, the, um, the trend is for uh, banks to get rid of stuff, become simpler, shrink to greatness, and uh, other companies to pick up those assets and transform company maker, all those sorts of things. Yes. Yeah, and uh, Sealink Travel, Sealink uh, Travel, it's uh, lost thirteen point five million for the year, compared to a profit of twenty one point five, which is probably no real surprise there. No, yeah, depending on the tourist industry. I, I was going to say it's not Robinson Crusoe, but you know, that, it's um, bearing in mind it does ferries. Yep. And perhaps that's an apt analogy. But yeah, no, it's um, the share price actually rallied quite hard on the on the back of uh, the results. So I guess, you know, with a lot of things at the moment, we're, we're kind of looking through the badness. We knew there was going to be badness. If you run ferry companies, etc., things that are relying on tourism, um, you're never going to do too well if um, there are no tourists. And, uh, you know, when you wander around Sydney and, and from time to time, as you do, um, there is no tourism. Yep. It is It is gone. It is gonski. Mm-hmm. Um, it may never come back. But um, mm-hmm. these guys have bus businesses in WA as well. So they've diversified away from your normal sort of Captain Cook mm-hmm. look, and uh, they've, they've sort of at least got some protection because of that. It's been a it's been a bit of a wild ride, but um, at least they've got that diversity, mm-hmm. which has certainly helped them through this. And uh, Mosaic Brands, Strandbags, and Westfield seem to have, or S Santa Group, seem to have made up with the the, the Mosaic Brands and Strandbag stores reopening. Yeah, they said they were going to close 550 stores, I think, from memory. Yeah. Um, and, you know, clearly they don't really want to pay rent when there's nobody coming through the malls. But, you know, in, in New South Wales, at least, and in other places, there is still foot traffic, mm-hmm. albeit at much lower levels. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I think it's it's all very well to say I'm going to close all my stores in a fit of peak. But mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, you still sign contracts for rent. You still sign leases. Yes. Um, and they're not that easy to get out of. I'd imagine the Centrelink have got some pretty good lawyers. Centre Group, rather, have got some pretty good lawyers. Yeah, well, you know, they've got done leasing for a long time. They, they know what they're doing, don't they? Yeah, they know yeah. their onions, so they're not going to let them off the hook yeah. that easy. So they haven't bought the blanks down at the news agency and filled it in. No, no, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> have you ever, did they do those? I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's, um, it was always probably going to end like this. I guess it's a question of what happens when those leases... Uh, run out, and I, I guess it also you know, is, is what happens from here for retail. But it certainly had a shake-up. But um, it's been um, it's been interesting, I guess. And just one last thing to close: event hospitality loses eleven point four 
down from 111.9 million profit in prior years, and, and Jane yeah. Hastings says it's going to be rebounding very quickly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess so. Well, uh, the bad publicity Bridges has had in Melbourne, I mean, someone said it'll take years. Yeah, I mean, this is, um, you know, cinemas, uh, Ridges, those sorts of things. Um, do they own ski fields as well? Yeah, Threadbow. Threadbow's a huge money spinner, if you look at yeah, the accounts. Yeah, Threadbow's a huge money. I've, I've had huge. pictures from my mate down at Perisher at the moment who said the snow was fantastic, having yeah. a ball. Um, prices but, are fantastic. But their prices are fantastic. For the vendor. And there's not an awful lot of nightlife. Yeah, yeah doesn't surprise <laughs> me. The, the Apre ski is well and truly um, gone ski. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's for sure, unless you're in a lodge and you make your own fun. But, uh, yeah, again, it's hardly a surprise. There's, there's yep. been casualties, and these, these sorts of stocks are taking a long time to come back to uh, to normal business conditions, that's for sure. Okay, we might come back uh, next week and talk to you then, Henry. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks, Henry. Look forward to it, Henry Jennings, who is the Senior Market Commentator at Marcus Today, Thursday Finance, and Stephen Pritchard. We are going to talk about exchange-traded funds, and to help us learn more about them, we have Peter Harper from Beta Shares joining us. Yes, um, exchange-traded funds are one of the the fastest-growing financial product areas, so so I thought I'd get someone on who is involved in their... uh, uh, manufacture, I suppose, and, and sale and, and get a, talk to us today about exchange-traded funds. So we've got Peter Harper um, from BetaShares here. So we might start with what is an, a, what is an ETF or an exchange-traded fund, Peter? Sure. And uh, first of all, good afternoon, Stephen, uh, and thank you to the station and all the listeners out there um, today. Um, so an exchange-traded fund is just a traditional managed fund, um, the same legal structure that um, many investors would be familiar with and that's been around for um, over a century. Um, but what's different about ETFs is that ETF units trade on um, the Australian uh, Securities Exchange like any other share. So it's just a traditional managed fund, but as the name suggests, it's an exchange-traded fund bought and sold like a share. Um, but they seem to be different products in there than a traditional managed fund. They seem to um, be based on indexes and, and things. So how does that kind of work? Yeah, traditionally um, ETFs have been based um, around an index and many listeners might be familiar with the um, ASX 200 index or perhaps the um, S&P 500 index or NASDAQ 100 index. And so an ETF will hold physical shares in line um, and hold all the same shares um, as those indices in line with the weighting of that index. So in one basket, you're getting exposure to um, an entire market. So, so when you see on the news of night, overnight the ASX 200 went up 50 points or down 50 points, if you buy, uh, um, and, and, and depending on what your port, portfolio is, it may have gone up or down or to a lesser extent or even the opposite direction. But if you buy an ETF, you, you're going to replicate um, those movements in the in the um, in your portfolio then? Yeah, that's exactly right, Stephen. So you would you would broadly expect the ETF to, to move in line with the daily move of the underlying index. Um, you know, the the key difference there being the daily fee, but ETFs are traditionally very low cost and so that fee, um, you know, is very, uh, very small and, and largely insignificant in the scheme of the overall return in most instances. So, so why do you think these have, these have, um, you know, particularly the last two or three years, become extremely popular? 
Look, I think um, there's, a, there's a number of reasons. Um, the first, of course, is the, the low-cost nature of ETFs. Um, they're traditionally cheaper than many other forms of, um, of funds, um, and that's because they do track um, passive indices in, um, in many cases. Um, so that's definitely attractive to investors in a cost-conscious world. Secondly, the ability to not be exposed to the risk of an individual share's performance, but to rather um, be able to diversify into a basket of um, you know, 100, 200 or more stocks in one trade um, is certainly very good for um, diversification um, for investor portfolios. Um, but also, I think the, the transparency of knowing exactly what you're holding and, and the simplicity and liquidity of being able to see live prices of your unit on the, on the share market and to be able to buy and sell those units at any time throughout the trading day um, is a big step forward um, relative to unlisted funds. Okay. And so, so um, can, you, can you use them to invest in your – or can your self-managed superannuation fund invest them? Yes, and in fact, that's um, that's one of the largest uh, one of the largest users of ETS, um, Stephen. So, from the very first days of ETS, um, SMSFs have made up around fifty percent of the holders of ETS in the Australian market. Um, so, they are an SMSF eligible um, investment and, and very popular um, with that uh, uh, group. Now, because of the diversity that they offer, and also the access to be able to buy not just shares um, on the Australian market, but you can get exposure to um, global markets or even bonds, um, all in a unit trading on the Australian Securities Exchange. Mm. So, do we have some um, recent trends here? Um, you know, how how big is actually this market? The market's grown very um, substantially over the last few years and continues to grow at a very, uh, very fast rate. Um, and that growth um, comes from two areas. First of all, the value of the underlying share market has, generally speaking, been rallying over the last few years. But more importantly, um, we're seeing more and more investors buy units in ETFs. Um, and so that's driven the overall ETF industry um, towards the $70 billion mark in Australia. Um, which is up around uh, 26% um, since uh, July last year, despite the fact that markets fell throughout the COVID period. Um, and over the long run, ETF, um, the ETF market has grown at around 45% per annum compounded growth over the last 19 years or so since its inception. So that gives you some idea of the growing popularity of, of ETF. Yeah, so they're, they're becoming more. I know. I know. In our firm, we're getting asked about them more. In the last two or three years, um, before that, no, you, you wouldn't. You know, we might have included some in a portfolio or something, but you never got asked. Clients never rang up and asked about them. Thursday Finance, and we are talking about exchange traded funds. Stephen Pritchard with Peter Harper. So. Um, Originally, I think in Australia, anyhow, the, the first ETF was probably an ASX 200 or maybe an ASX 300 index fund or something. Um, so we've now got um, a whole range of these type of different funds. So, so can we just go through a couple of what, we've, what retail investors can now um, buy through their stock broker? Yeah, absolutely, Stephen, and, and you're 100% right. Um, the genesis of ETFs, both in Australia and around the world, was... Um, in, in funds that, um, gave exposure to, you know, very, um, traditional broad market indices, such as, um, being able to buy, um, 200 of the largest companies in the Aussie market by, in, in one, in one trade or 
buying the NASDAQ 100 companies in one trade or S&P 500 companies in one trade, but that's um, certainly broadened out over over recent years um, as the ETF offering has grown. And now um, we see um, what's known as um, factor investing, where you know certainly people are able to buy the whole market in one trade at very low cost, often as little as um, you know seven basis points per annum, um, but. You know, other people may choose to target certain factors in their investment. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, there's an ETF, for example, that may be able to give exposure to um, quality companies. So um, it runs a series of screens over over um, an investment universe and looks for businesses that have high profitability, low um, leverage and earning stability. So um, for an investor for whom that appealed, they may be able to find a, an ETF that meets that. Thursday, finance and the wonders of modern technology. We have Peter Harper back with us again, and we are still talking about exchange-traded funds. So, Peter, yes, I think we might just talk about some of these new interesting funds, the Cyber Security ETF. How does that work? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good idea, and it's good to move on to technology, given that it just got the better of us uh, just before. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, we look at something like um, cybersecurity, and it's a, it's a really interesting thematic. Um, and uh, it's now um, it's now possible to through an ETF buy a portfolio of global shares um, uh, that are focused on um, the cybersecurity industry. And so, if we think about the way our lives are changing and going online, um, cybersecurity to me is the one form of technology that sits over and above every other form of technology. Whether we're talking about um, driverless cars or computer hardware or contactless payments or protecting your bank details. Um, you know, any of these factors all require now a level of um, cyber security protection. Um, and so in one trade, as I said, you can now buy an ETF that gives exposure to um, a range of global businesses involved in the cyber security industry. And one of the other interesting things is the artificial intelligence and automation that's an ETF as well. Yeah, I think that's um, an interesting one. That's certainly being spoken of very prominently at the moment in the coronavirus um, environment. Um, you know, supply chains for, for many um, factories and production have been disrupted around the world because humans um, have been uh, you know, uh, segregated uh, for the purposes of containing the virus. But it's, um, it's certainly uh, the case that... Um, the, the virus may accelerate adoption of um, automation and uh, and artificial intelligence um, within the, um, the the factories around the world to, to try and reduce the impact of future viruses and things of that nature. And one of the one of the one of the funds that I find particularly one of the ETFs that I find particularly interesting is the the, the and we've only got a minute um, is the bear funds, which which kind of you can use to protect your portfolio if the market's high and you think it's going to fall. So how how do they kind of work? Yeah, sure. So um, the bear funds are designed to go up in value when the market goes down and vice versa. Um, And the idea behind that is to enable investors to um, profit from or or hedge against the falling market. Um, So if an investor had a portfolio of shares and they didn't want to sell those, whether for capital gains tax reasons or, or because they were reliant on the income, they may decide to use a bear fund to hedge out some of the market risk in a volatile um, environment, um, which I think can potentially be useful for portfolios. Okay. Thanks for that, Peter. I'm sorry we got, had to cut this short, but technology let us down. <laughs>
Indeed it did, and my apologies to the listeners as well. That's Have a great day. Thanks, Peter. And you, Peter, thank you very much for joining us today. That was most interesting. And that brings us to the end of Thursday Finance Today.